Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. The message a couple weeks ago and kind of continued into last week is 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 one that confronts a, a very deep root issue that that must be settled with within us. Uh, are are we going to follow God in an unhindered way into new revelation that he gives us or are we going to camp out in a place where we're comfortable and and say I'm going this far but no further that's that's really what what that was about uh, and my prayer is that this body, that we as, as God's people here at Cheyenne Vineyard, that, that we will be people who just decide that we're, we're going with God, whatever that looks like. Because uh, when Abraham chose to do that in Genesis, it started things in motion that that changed everything. If, if he would have said, no, I really like Haran, and, or if he would have said, I need to know where we're going before I leave. Uh, who knows what, what things would be like now? Presumably, God would have found somebody else. But what if he hadn't? Man, things, things would be a mess. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I feel like we need a little bit of uh, vision refreshment, maybe, today, before I get back into Revelation Chapter two, because I, I think we're going to get back into that today, because there, there's there's a lot more uh, in that letter to Pergamus or Pergamum than what we have looked at so far, and I do want to get to that, but I I have a vision and and I I have been trying my best to lead us in in this vision that. The greatest days for the kingdom of heaven are ahead of us. And it, it really is my belief that our generation, we, we are going to get to see God's kingdom come on the earth like nobody has seen. I, it's it's going to be bigger and better than the first century. 
because there's going to be millions of us, not just a handful in Palestine, because we're going to be all over the world. And so, you know, I and, and the, the leaders here, we've, we've tried to be clear with you that, that we think difficult days are, are coming very soon. But don't be fearful about that. Because God is, is not wringing his hands, wondering what to do because things have gotten to where they are. No. <laughs> uh, he completely has a plan that, and, and, and he holds all the trump cards and his desires for the end are, are what's going to prevail. There, there's no question. I mean, just when, when Cal read that thing out of Revelation 20 that I shared with you in, in worship today, that, that just hit me so hard that, I mean, God only had to send an angel to go put Satan and all of his forces in, in the bottomless pit. He didn't even have to do it. That's, that's how small Satan is compared to God. This is not a fair fight. So what, what I want to share is, is some, some scripture that, that I believe speaks to uh, the days that we're in, in in a very positive, prophetic kind of way. Uh, Isaiah 60 starting in verse 1. And this is, uh, if you got my PowerPoint, it's, it's near the end. Uh, if you're, I don't know if you're using that or not. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people's. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. That's, that's you and me. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you and the riches of the nations will come to you. We haven't seen that yet. It's, it's coming soon, I think. The glory of the Lord is going to arise upon a people. And then Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, but he is upon you. Because the Lord has anointed you to preach good news to the poor. He has sent you to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor 
and the day of vengeance of our God. I, I love that. We're, we're in the year of the Lord's favor. The day of vengeance is, is coming. But that's, that's later. <laughs> the year of favor, it's, that's a long time. The time of vengeance of our God, is, it's a day. So we're, we're in that year of the favor of the Lord. And to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair or heaviness. So take up that garment of praise and don't put on that spirit of despair or heaviness. Don't, don't receive that. And you will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined places. That's, that's what we're about, is, is doing all of those things. And we're to be about doing them now, all of those things. Because the, the harvest is now. There is a greater harvest at the end of the age. But we are approaching the end of the age. And in uh, Isaiah 35, 8, it talks about this highway of holiness. Maybe I'll just turn to that quickly. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness or the highway of holiness in some translations. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. See, there's, there, there's a, a release of more that's coming, I believe, for this great harvest at the end of the age. But we need to walk in what we have now, fully. Because God, He will not impose that pouring out of His Spirit. And, and He does not throw His pearls before swine. He, he even told us not to do that. He, this, this is for a people who've prepared themselves. And, and so... I believe the reason that the Lord has steered me to Revelation 2 and 3 is so that he can confront some things in us that need confronting so that we will be a prepared people to, to fully participate in the great and awesome things that his people will do at the end of the age. And, 
And that is our hope. We're, we're not to hunker down in, in a bunker and hope that the rapture happens so that we can just hold on in a defensive position un, until then. That, that is not the kingdom of heaven. That, that is something else. So don't get wrapped up in, in that kind of thinking, even though it's easy to fall into that kind of thinking in these days. Because the, the Lord is going to take care of his own. We, we have a wonderful prophetic picture of that when we look at the nation of Israel before they came out of Egypt. And, and all those plagues that came, they didn't harm his people. He, he watched over them. Yeah, their lives were hard. They were difficult. They, they weren't fun because they were having to do a lot more with a lot less. Kind of sounds familiar if you work in government, right? <laughs> well, that's kind of where the world is at right now. There's, there's a lot of belt tightening going on. And that, that probably isn't going to end anytime real soon. But I, I just, <clears throat> I felt like there was, there was a need for us to, to, to have vision restored. And, and that's where we're going. And, and that's why it's important for us to just say, yes, Lord, whatever it is that he's asking us to do. Whether he's asking us to give up something or asking us to pick up something, get used to that response. Yes, Lord. <laughs> okay, so... Trying to finish up the letter to the church at Pergamos. I'm going to read that letter real quickly because it's one of the shorter ones. Revelation 2, starting in verse 12. And to the angel of the church at Pergamum write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Thus you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them 
with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. So, <clears throat> I've been digging more and more in, into Pergamos and, and this, this seat of Satan. And, man, the, the more you dig, just the more there is. Uh, this, this was quite a place, Pergamum. It was kind of the political center of the Roman Empire in, in Asia Minor. So decisions were made there that affected the whole region. But it's interesting what Jesus says. Um, Antipas was killed among you where Satan dwells. And he says, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. That's really interesting. In, in this city, they had three huge pagan temples. One that was exceedingly large, and it was on a hill overlooking the city, and it was the temple to Zeus, the, the father Greek god, who was the father of Apollyon, the destroyer, who is talked about in the Bible, most scholars believe that that temple is exactly what Jesus was talking about in, in writing this letter. Now here's, here's the interesting, well, there, there's a lot of interesting things, but this, this is very interesting to me. That this city, Pergamos, it, it, it no longer exists, it, it's ruins, but... It, in the early 1900s, a German archaeologist found, he came across the temple to Zeus. They packed it up and took it to Berlin. Shortly after the Weimar Republic arose and we had World War I. Germany was defeated. Shortly after that, we saw the rise of Nazism and World War II. The Russians got to Berlin first, and they took the whole temple back to Moscow. For whatever reason, they kept it in Moscow for 10 years, and then in 1958, they brought it back to Berlin, where it still sits, and I actually have a picture or two of it uh, on the... Man. <laughs> well, 
You can, you can look this thing up online and see pictures. You can actually see videos that were taken. There, there's this museum in Berlin that, I mean, this place must be ginormous. If, if you've ever, what's the, the big museum in Chicago, the Field Museum? Anybody been to the Field Museum in Chicago? Well, it's got to be even bigger than that because they've got this whole temple put together inside of this museum. And I tell you what, just the temple to Zeus must be the size of like at least two of these buildings, this building. It's, it's pretty astounding. And then there's uh, archaeological research of how they think Antipas was, was sacrificed in that temple and how they did it, and uh, it's, it's just all really amazing. And, and then there's this other Greek god, uh, Actelon, I, I believe, that they had a big temple to. And, and this was the Greek god of healing. And this is all in, in Pergamos, okay? So they, they would bring sick people to this temple, and... And this Greek god is, is the one who, who had a staff and a snake around the staff, just like the American Medical Association seal. And <laughs> yeah, you get the idea. So anyway, they would bring sick people to this place, but if they thought they were going to die, they wouldn't let them in. Because out, outside of this temple, uh, there, there was a big sign. It said something to the effect of this. I can't remember the exact quote. Death is not allowed in these doors. Which is kind of eerie and crazy when you really begin to dig into what was going on there. They would bring sick people in there. They would have them drink this potion that would put them to sleep. And then they were supposed to have dreams about how they were going to be healed. And they would, they would sleep in this temple and the snakes, non-poisonous snakes, would crawl all around them. And if, if you were lucky enough to have a snake crawl over you while you were sleeping, then they thought you would be healed. And the crazy thing is, that some people probably really got healed. See, the enemy can counterfeit stuff. And, but he can only counterfeit what is real. And, and the real problem with if the devil heals you, he's got a hold on you. He's got serious ground. So that was going on in, in Pergamos too. So you, when you understand a little bit more of the political power structure of the place and, and how huge these temples were, both, both physically and socially, you, you can see what kind of a temptation it was for the people at Pergamos to, uh, to continue to join in a little bit socially with with some of this pagan worship. Because it, it wasn't 
like just a, a small thing to their culture, it, it, was, it was huge. So I'm not going to say any more about Balaam and Balak because I think we've, we covered that pretty well in, in the last two weeks. But, but this thing about the Nicolaitans, This, this is, you know, I, I've been actually digging into the Nicolaitans for a really long time. Probably like 20 years or something. And there's, there's just no real agreement among theologians about who, who these people were and what the teaching was that, that they were involved in. Uh, because of the sentence structure of the, the letter to this church, many believe that it, it also had something to do with uh, being somewhat friendly to pagan practices and the resultant sexual immorality that was part of those, the pagan worship. And, and that may be. Uh, but as, as I've studied this and, and meditated on it, uh, the, the, the meaning of, of the Greek that is sort of transliterated Nicolaitans means rulers of the people, literally. And, and there are those theologians who who believe that the teaching of the Nicolaitans that had crept into the church, it was just starting to creep into the church at, at this time that the, the letter was written, was a, a distinction between the, the leaders in the church and everybody else. That, that there were kind of those, those who were called and chosen and gifted, and then there was everybody else. And I don't know how much of that was going on at, at Pergamos, but when you study the history of the church, and again, if, if we look at Pergamos as maybe being representative of a certain time period in, in church history, and, and that is one interpretation, and I think it is one of a number of valid interpretations. I think in every time in church history, there, those seven churches represent every church. There's, there's probably in every time period of church history, there have been churches like Pergamos and churches like Smyrna and churches like Thyatira. So that's another way of, of looking at it. But when we look at what was happening in the history of the church in, say, the second through the fourth century, uh, this idea of the leaders of the church uh, was going through a, a radical shift. And 
It's, it's my conviction that, that this may very well be the, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that Jesus is speaking to here in, in this letter. Because what, what was happening, and, and I, I bring this to you because part of what was happening in this shift has, has led to a, a lot of misunderstandings within the church of the role of people like me and the role of everybody else. And if we can understand sort of how things started and then sort of how they shifted it exposes some of those wrong ideas that people have. Because it, it's, it's very true that people, all of us, we, we see and, and we understand as much as we are taught and understand. In other words, you you can catch more by observing and seeing and living than what you were actually taught. And your understanding is some combination of those two things. So even if the church maybe hasn't taught many of us some of these wrong things, we may have latched on to them because in our, it is our understanding of what we have seen. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay. So, and this... This, this shift, this, this understanding of the Nicolaitans that I, I've kind of settled on, uh, the way it played out from the 2nd to the 4th century has, has had a huge impact on the effectiveness of the church in, in the last 1,600 years or so. I mean, it... It is, it's a clear testimony of the power of God that the church has continued to grow and expand across the earth e even with a lot of bad theology and, and bad practice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that God's more powerful than our, our wrongness or our weakness. So, yeah, I, I got to dig into this. So the, the leadership in the church in the first century, the, the church that, that began on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, uh, you had a spiritually gifted apostolic servant leaders in the church who, who wanted 
everybody to be equipped, everybody to be released, and everybody to, to do the ministry. And, and that's, that's the way it was for the first hundred years or so. But then some things started to change, started to shift. There was... Oh, I, I should just forget about my notes. Uh, there, there was this, this rise of, of sort of the professional educated clergy... Uh, and and there was there was the rise of bishops as opposed to elders uh, as as the the leader of the church in a given city and 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 that wasn't necessarily such a bad thing initially but over time politics began to creep in and human beings being the, the, the weak people that we are, people sought power, they sought position and, and over time the, the position of bishop rather than being one who sort of pastored the pastors and, and equipped the, the elders of the city and, and served them and helped them from, from a bottom-up kind of structure over a period of a couple hundred years that structure kind of shifted 180 degrees and the bishop was now at the top and the elders were, were serving the bishop and everybody else was supposed to be serving them. And, and I'm, I apologize, I'm trying to put a couple hundred years into just a few minutes here. But, but this is something that happened. But, but the really sad thing that happened along the way and... And I'm going to read you a quote, I think, from John Wesley because in his studies, he, he kind of came to the same conclusions. You, you saw a, a shift away from apostolic servant leadership that was based on spiritual gifting and calling. And, and it became something for the educated the the great orator the public speaker uh, the, the persuasive speak, speaker and the the emphasis and even the practice of the gifts of the Holy Spirit began to decline Because in, instead of the way Jesus left the church, it became about 
certain men who, who wanted the power and the influence. And as, as, as that happened, the, the spiritual power of the church really began to decline. And, and this is what John Wesley said about this very thing, because he, he's talking about uh, the Montanists who uh, tried to bring about a spiritual revival in the second and third centuries because of what was happening, and specifically a revival in prophecy. But by those in power, they were named heretics. And, and this, is, this is what John Wesley said. I was fully convinced after my study of what I had once suspected that the Montanists in the second and third centuries were the real scriptural Christians and that the grand reason why the miraculous gifts were so soon withdrawn was not only that faith and holiness were well nigh lost. Sorry about those uh, misspelled words. I had to type this. Uh, but that dry, formal, orthodox men began even to ridicule whatever gifts they had not themselves and to decry them all as Sorry, either madness or imposture. And that's from John Wesley's journal in 1750. So what happened is you, you, you saw the rise of, of, of the educated clergy. And that wasn't such a bad thing in itself, but it gave rise to what, what I have seen as, as maybe the greatest problem in the church in America today. And it is this emphasis on knowledge rather than doing the Christian faith. That in... And, and this, I see, I see this as the root of it. That as, as knowledge, um, I, I wouldn't even call it wisdom, but as, as knowledge became the more important uh, aspect of identifying leadership instead of spiritual gifting, it, it brought about a shift in the thinking of the people that what I know or what I think I believe is more important than having spiritual gifts. And if you... I, I, I bet you this, okay? Try to prove me wrong. That if you speak to someone you know who is a Christian and a cessationist, 
I bet you that they are living that kind of Christianity. That it's all about believing the right thing, having the right doctrine, but there's some kind of disconnect between the head and the hands and feet. They, they think they've got the right doctrine. They think they believe all the right things, but it's not actually getting out of their gray matter. And so I, I think this is the fruit in, in, in the 21st century of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. I, I really do. And, and this, this is why, okay? Um, I, I'm really thankful for a church where, where I can be me. And, and I don't have to be something else. Because that was why I told God, I, I don't want to do that. I see all these guys up there. I, that's not me. I can't do that. that. It's why I dress the way I do. There, there isn't a distinction spiritually between you and me. It's, it's a different calling, a different, different gift mix, but that's, that's where the distinction ends. Uh, this, this leading a church, it, it is not a white-collar job. Right, Randy? Yeah. There's a reason that we dress the way we do, because we get dirty. And on any given day, we have no idea what we're going to be helping people do. But we're probably going to get dirty doing it. Whether it's a spiritual thing or a physical, natural thing. And, and so, that's why I stand up here dressed the way I do. I, when, when guys, and I don't want to be judging other pastors, I, I really don't. But to, to put a big robe on and, you know, have all the fancy stuff, it, it just, it enforces that image that there's a difference. Uh, and, and so I just, I couldn't do it. But we, you know, one day I, I'm going to stand before the Lord and, and I'm, I'm going to answer to how I lived out my calling. And every one of you are going to do the same thing. And, and so one of the other things that this doctrine of the Nicolaitans can do is there are people in churches here in America and probably everywhere else who, 
who think they can vicariously live the Christian life through their leader. Oh, look at him. Isn't he such a... Um, he's so spiritual. Uh, you know, we just, we just love him. And as, as long as their leader is, is doing all the right stuff, they, they feel like they're doing it too. Well, I got news for you. That... That kind of thinking is not going to go very far when you're standing before Jesus. But my pastor, yeah, I'm going to be talking to him in about a half hour. We're talking about, <laughs> we're talking about you right now. So, so let, let's, let's get this Nicolaitan thing out of us, Okay? Uh, spiritual gifts are for now and they are for you and for me and, and our city needs all of us functioning in those spiritual gifts at those particular times when Jesus gives us a divine appointment with somebody come up here Joy Or that uh, healing room testimony that we got yesterday. Coffee shop. <laughs> Customer came in. She's regular. And just a little conversation. She's telling me her sister really has health issues and is in terrible pain. has been going on for months. And I said, you know what the church here offers is like, healing room. It's free. It's open to the public. I'm sorry you haven't heard about it yet. Thursday night at 630. I just, you know, tried to explain that it's a real low key. It's private. People just close the door and pray for you. You don't even have to tell them what you need, but you can, you can write it down. So, um, she's like, I'll tell her. So yesterday, same lady comes in she's like, I told my sister and she went so she, she talked to her sister Wednesday. She was horrible. It was awful. Lots of pain, everything. She talked to her Friday morning, could not believe the difference. Later, yesterday, her sister comes in the coffee shop. They're twins. I'm like, am I seeing the, the same lady? The, the, this and is, she this is tells the, the, me, actu the actual lady. Yeah. She, she tells me. She, she was like, in awe. she's sitting here in the coffee shop having lunch with a friend, like soaking it in still. Like, wow, you know, this is still lingering. But she said... I am so happy. I feel so good. I want to run down the street and kick my heels together. So, yeah. Kim, who was on her team? Who was on her team? Was there a little... Well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, I mean Kim, Kim leads the healing room, and I get to hear stories all the time mm -hmm. of how God came near and God did something that man cannot do. Yeah. What you all have to know is there's no yeah, and 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 people come here and and they get touched every week. But you know, maybe there's a hundred of us in here right now. We're probably in like almost a hundred different places tomorrow at ten o'clock in the morning, 
And all that same stuff can happen wherever you are at 10 o'clock in the morning tomorrow as what happens in the healing rooms every Thursday night. Because the same God that is in the people who are volunteering in the healing rooms is in you if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been born again. So, yeah. Let's, let's get with the system. <laughs> let's, let's let God out in, in our city. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, there, there's, there was one passage that I, I really wanted to talk about uh, briefly. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, because it, it, it illustrates... The, the difference between that first century apostolic servant leadership, gifting-based, calling-based leadership versus where, where we have come. And this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. He said, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We're in trouble if our faith only rests on men's persuasive wisdom. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So... What Jesus promised to those who overcome in this church was that he would give some of the hidden manna and that he would give them a white stone with a new name written on the stone which no one else would know. You see... When the kingdom comes into a life, into a family, into a group of people, and into a church, it divides. There are those who are in, and there are those who are out. That's, that's just the way it is. And when the kingdom comes in our life and we are submitted to God, there's, there's stuff that just goes. And there's new stuff that comes. And it's, it's got to be that way. And, you know, if, if we're really going to be effective kingdom ministers, and as in... Corinthians, we, we carry this fragrance that, that is of salvation 
to some, that same fragrance is, is death to others. Not everybody is going to like us. That's just the way it is. But are, are we going to live our life to please man or please the one who will be the judge at the end? It's, it's one or the other. But to those who overcome, who, who give up some of those things, who, who suffer financial loss because of kingdom living, who, whatever it might be, Jesus says, I will give some of the hidden manna. What was the manna? It was, it was the miraculous provision of God for his people when they were in the wilderness of sin. If, if, if we are his, he will take care of us. Whatever may come. Because he, he is always looking to and fro across the whole earth to find those whose hearts are fully dedicated to him and to show himself strong on their behalf. And so, so let us be those kind of people. So that as he's looking to and fro and he sees you, he says, there's one. <laughs> what does Mike need today? <laughs> hmm. So, I, I've tried since I've been doing this to, to not let you catch anything from me that would reinforce the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And I, I will continue to do that. For your part, Make sure that the brand of Christianity that you are practicing is, is more concerned with what you're doing, how you're living, than how much you know. Because Revelation is, is very clear that the people of God are going to be rewarded according to what we have done on the earth. We're, 
It's, it's not going to be the case. And, and see, I, I can speak to this because the Lord gave me revelation years ago that I was, I was in a knowledge-based form of Christianity. And I just wanted to know more and more because people liked it that I knew a lot. And, and they didn't really care that I wasn't really doing anything with it because neither were they. And we just reinforced each other's right knowing, <laughs> right believing, because we, we made each other feel good. And that is not the kingdom of heaven. And when the Lord showed that to me, you know, I, I have spent a lot of time on my face. Yeah. Because when, when the Lord shows us something that needs to change, we need to let him change it. It, it doesn't do any good to just agree with him and then go on as, as we were. No. Uh, that's why Jesus always said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You've got to think differently and you've got to, because of your th different thinking, now live differently. And so, I, I want to call us out, any who might be in a, a knowledge-based system of Christianity, I, I want to call you into a reality of relationship with the Son of God, who, who can actually change you from the inside out. So, if, if anyone wants prayer uh, for such a thing, I, I would be happy to pray with you and help you process through that. But maintain that vision of, of where this is going. We... We are entering what I believe are going to be the most exciting days on, on the earth. But we, we need to be the, the sold out 100% to God people so that we can fully receive everything that God wants to pour out in, in the days ahead. And it's, it's going to be... Exciting. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> it may be hard, but it's going to be exciting. Let's pray. Oh, and, and that, uh, that, that white stone with, with the new name on it. You know, I, I, I just believe that that speaks to the the intimacy of relationship that Jesus wants with each one of us. 
See, there's Joy and I are this close. But we each have our own relationship with Jesus. And I think I can say this safely for both of us, that, that there are things that go on and revelation that is received by each of us in that relationship with Jesus that, that we don't even share with each other. And that's what Jesus is inviting every one of us into. To that. So, Father, I, I thank you. And boy, there, there was a whole other section. <laughs> and it was really important, too. <laughs> I guess maybe we'll start there next time because I, I completely forgot about it until now. Father, thank you for the wisdom of your word. And thank you that it, it cuts deeply uh, to even sever joint from marrow. And uh, Father, we just say cut here. And have your way. Because, Lord, we're, we see the world systems and, and we, we see how broken they are and we just want to be delivered from them. We want to see your kingdom come. And so, Lord, I, I just I bless the people of Cheyenne Vineyard with getting beyond a knowledge-based expression of Christianity into the reality of a real personal relationship with you. Lord, I, I bless us with being the people that you're looking for whose hearts are fully devoted to you. And I pray you'd help each one of us to give you the last 2% so that we can experience more of your power. And Lord, let us be a blessing to the city. Let us lead other people into your kingdom this week. In Jesus' name, amen.